the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and joining me today, we have Sean Edlin from Dotteral, founder and CEO. Uh, welcome along, Sean. How are you? Thank you. Oh, really good, thanks, and, and super excited to be on the show. I feel like we've spoken about this before, so it's, <laughs> it's been a long time in the making. Yeah, no, it's great to uh, it's great to be to be kicking in. So yeah, there's I think there's a you know there's been a lot going on with Dotteral. Um, there's been I, I saw a you know press release in the last uh, last few days about uh, uh, influx of uh, investment, which is yep. which is always exciting and 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 encouraging, and you know, great to see our um, you know innovative New Zealand uh, firms doing doing well. So definitely keen to uh, really delve in and, and hear a bit about the the Dotteral story. Maybe um, you know before we get into sort of the the news and bits and pieces, you give us just a little intro in terms of you know what what the company does and yeah, where you yeah. broadly fit into this sort of world of world of tech in New Zealand. Absolutely. So so Dotteral are really global specialists in um, enabling audio in really challenging high noise environments. And and the, the, the product that we're starting to speak about at the moment is what we call Conos, which is a breakthrough new microphone technology that uses the power of 80 microphones in a very small form factor um, to form what we call cones of sound. Um, this allows users to capture very clear, crisp sound in very high noise, uncontrolled environments. And you know, being able to do that today is really being constrained and limited by existing um, microphone technology. So yeah, we're, we're starting to, to be quite loud about this breakthrough new microphone um, product. And uh, yeah, you'll be seeing lots of it over the coming months. That sounds really interesting. And it definitely sounds like something that's sort of, you know, tech enabled the idea of having, you know, 80 microphones. This is kind of not the norm, but we have, you know, we have seen this sort of increase in the number of mics and and you know improvements and in, in, in this technology. You know, I was looking at a um, a video conferencing um, system that we will delve into um, on the podcast in the in the coming weeks. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the, that technology is getting is getting a lot more accessible. And this is one from um, a company called Yaylink that make Teams and Zoom yep. systems, and you know this. Simple looking little bar had I think eight microphones in it, and then you know a couple of couple of different cameras, and you know of course also when we when we look at our smartphones and the way that that you know photos are, are taken now, uh, you know by combining together lots and lots of shots and some AI and all sorts yep. of smarts, uh, you know what we see is is quite mind blowing compared to what was, you know what what was possible a few years ago. In fact, I was, I've been testing out some new phones uh, recently, the the um, Samsung S twenty two and um, um, Oppo's new one as well, and sort of you know, getting a bit of a feel for for their their low light technology. And I I took a uh, shot at home with you know with the light the lights sort of out in the room I was in but a little bit of ambient light coming through and then I was comparing the photo that I'd taken to what I was seeing with my naked eye and you know the photo was it was just mind-blowing it better than real so, life or, yeah, yeah it was just like but how did they get that color and how yeah that yeah so you know, this is what I'm imagining that you're doing the impossible with, we, with your microphone. We've had that comment before. We've had the comment, hey, it sounds better than I can hear with my own ears. And that's always lovely to hear. Um, but I guess, you know, to your point, um, that there is innovation in this space. You'd also be surprised. I mean, the mics we have in front of us right now, single little condenser mic at the end of a long tube, that really is the norm. And it has been for like you know, 40, 50 years that what we use in production and when you place it next to like these amazingly innovative cameras and other sensor technology that you see on things like film sets, it, these kind of seem antiquated and it's yeah. it's quite old tech technology. We're, so we're all about kind of bringing this into you know the current century. That's cool. That's cool. I can. I mean, I can just imagine so many you know possibilities. Uh, I don't know what that what that means for our podcast, New Zealand Studios, and whether anyone's going to want to hire a. A studio with oh, with audio treatment in future because your mics are going to be so good that uh, you you'll be able to be out you know you're doing wandering out in the in the street and uh, it'll be it'll be just as good as what you need. <laughs> oh, I've got some thoughts. I think you know for, for radio and podcasts, I think we can do some pretty exciting stuff with our mic. Excellent, excellent. Oh, well, we're uh, certainly 
happy to be uh, to be guinea pigs on that front. <laughs> um, so other things going on now. Um, before we started, you you um, you know we're talking about having worked at Lanza Tech, and um, of course their uh, their IPO got uh, got announced earlier on in the yep. the month. They're, they're, yeah. um, you know their their listing um, in the in the US. Um, what can you what can you share about? Well, uh, I can. You know, I mean, I can, from your, your experience I, you know, here and and you know how how you think that looks. I, I can share a little bit. As um, the founding team of of Dotter are all uh, ex Lanzatech, and um, Sean Simpson is actually our chairman, um, which uh, you know he's uh, so he's very involved in the company. I'm you know, Dotter and Lanzatech have, have very good very good relationship. But um, I think you know the things that really stick out to me with that that very big IPO and you know. Making, drawing parallels to the successes of Rocket Lab um, is that it's just amazing for the New Zealand deep tech industry. Um, you know, it's those, it's the, the Lanzatechs and the Rocket Labs, which are doing like really sci-fi stuff. They're sending rockets to space. They've got microbial industrial processes, um, like really hard science. Um, but they're actually, you know, they've made it commercial. They've had like these big, um, you know, liquidity events, um, big capital events and uh you know i think as as a deep tech founder and, and someone who's really passionate about that scene it just is amazing for the for the for the industry here um the other reason it's really exciting as well and i think just there's there's such a, a great story around lands and tech and um and rocket lab in the mo at the moment so that is that if you look at lands tech what was created out of it. You know, when that company moved overseas, it just kind of gave birth to all these deep tech companies who saw, went on the journey of Landsex all like, hey, we can probably do that too. And then you got Avatana, you've got Mint, you've got Dotterall um, and, and, and others. I remember in those final days of, of Landsex before it moved offshore, just everyone was creating companies. It was, it was awesome. Um, and then you've got you know, people like Peter Beck and Rocket Lab who were like, really actively investing into like the really hard science and, you know, deep tech at the moment. And um, so you know, a huge amount of give back into the New Zealand deep tech um, scene. Uh, so, yeah, no, I think you know, it, 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 we're really proud of what Landstech have, have achieved and Sean Simpson and, and, and everyone else there. And it, it, it's, it's fantastic for NZ Inc. Yeah. And as you say, there's this incredible flow on, and, you know, not just from Lanzatech, but we kind of look across, um, you know, the tech landscape. And there's so many firms that have been, uh, you know, built out of the success of others that have that have done well. And, you mm. know, maybe those firms have been have been sold off and there's, you know, been a little bit of, oh, it's just, you know, disappointing that they're no longer a New Zealand company and and so on. But, you know, actually when that happens, there is there is actually so much of a of yeah, a flow on. And the, the I don't know, the children as it were in terms of these, you know, child companies that that sort of, you know, come out um, and have been made possible from all all the you know all the all the learnings um, you know in the, in the past and, um, is I mean it's phenomenal. It'd be really interesting to actually map that out. So if we've and I'm sure there must be some um, data um, geek uh, listening. Oh, for who, sure. <laughs> probably do. It'll be hey, so fascinating to see what those what those flow ons. Even are, if you right? like before those events happen, if you just look at the journeys and the number of like a lot of it's offshore venture capital that has created huge amount of jobs, huge mm -hmm. amount of capability. If you look at that economic impact piece there, um, yeah, there's some some really interesting. <laughs> Figures to look at what these create these companies. Yeah, and I mean even Navman, which you know we don't yep. talk much about these days, but you know the the flow on from what Sir Peter Meir and the team sort of built with with Navman is mm. you know is one of the many sure. ones where we've uh, yeah we've seen lots of good stuff. So. Absolutely, very cool. Um, other things going on in the in the in the news. So, um, two point two billion dollars, by the way, was what I read uh, for Lanza Tech's um, uh, SPAC, as they're calling it, yeah. rather than a, a traditional yep. uh, you know we're all going. Share, share market uh, listing. Seems to be the uh, uh, the buzzword, the, the, the way to go. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, but that's uh, that's a, a pretty uh, pretty interesting place to uh, to. To start out in terms of a number, so Definitely. you know, I think 
you know, often we sort of, you know, we wonder what's the, you know, what's the scale and the value of, yeah. uh, you know, of these entities. And, um, you know, the, the listing aspect is, is pretty helpful from that For perspective sure. to, to get see, a feel yeah. of, of uh, you know, what the market thinks something is, uh, is actually worth. Def- I mean, you know, in particular, because it's such huge amounts of time and huge amounts of investment that goes to get mm. the company there where you're, you're building colossal plants, you're building rocket factories. Um, so it's kind of nice to see what that end result is on a, yeah. you know, on a, on a value basis. Yeah. Um, now, also on a New Zealand um, front, uh, a couple of couple of other things on a New Zealand front before we sort of start talking a little bit more global. Um, a report has come through um, from a company called Uswitch, and New Zealand has landed uh, number five among uh, OECD countries in terms of our broadband performance. Sort of looking at uh, uh, you know home home broadband uh, performance. Oh, that's you know that's uh, that's that's pretty reasonable. Um, but what caught me off guard with this news was that, um, and it's not completely global because it's just OECD, but that uh, Chile was at the was at the top of the, the list. Forefront. And you know, my my immediate I don't know bias, uh, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> but my immediate thing was no, that's completely rubbish. This is not a you know not a um, a part of the world where you know. It would be cost-effective, surely, to deliver fiber to um, you know to every home and to be at a position where um, they're at the you know at the top. How does you know how does that stack yeah. up? So um, I did did a you know bit of reading. I I didn't find a you know huge amount um, in English on the topic, um, but there is data from a you know a range of sources that are that are backing this up that. Uh, you know, average home is getting 200 megabits per, per second. Uh, and the plans that I had a look at, uh, you know, I went to an internet service provider website in Chile, had it translated thanks to Google uh, into English so I could, you know, have a reasonable, you know, understanding of what it was saying. Uh, and everything seems to be based around 500 megabits per second fiber. Um, wow. You know, that's that's just how it is there. Yeah. Um, and then I did a quick uh, um, Google on, well, what does this thing cost of converting it from um, Chilean pesos into into New Zealand dollars? And a little bit under $20 a month for a 500 megabits per second connection. So, wow. Um, I I can see that being something that would have would have a you know a huge impact on on their economy, um, you know it just seems just seems like a phenomenally smart smart move. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's you know these things take a lot of time as you know as we've as we've seen in New Zealand, um, but they now seem to be at a point where they're uh, you know it's it's growing very very quickly and and you know price wise they've, however you know the the government have done it. Um, and you know, I'm not quite sure of what their mix is between sort of you know private and public investment there, but um, mm. yeah, pretty pretty phenomenal. Do you know? Uh, results. Do, do you know what countries kind of fall between in, in, NZ um, and so um, so uh, Chile sorry. was at the top, then Denmark, um, United States, and Spain on on this right. list. Now, I always think New Zealand. Well, for for a reasonable period of time, I've thought New Zealand has. Better broadband generally than the US because it's really sort of splintered in the US and you know a lot of people can't get fiber. Um, so mm. I, you know, if I sort of spent a day researching this, I could probably you know share a, a, a lot more and probably some sort of comparative um, you know information. You know, it, it was surprising um, that you know Singapore. Sing- it was, yeah, I'm just trying to see where Singapore was on the list. You know, Singapore um, and uh, and South Korea are, you know, two that have also uh, gone down that uh, that fibre track, which which the US has uh, has yet to, you know, yet to actually do. So, um, yeah, quite um, uh, quite interesting. Um, at the bottom of the list was uh, Turkey, Greece, and uh, Mexico. Uh, just trying to have a look to see on this list. Uh, maybe, and I'm not sure which countries are are actually in the OECD, but they've got South Korea um, basically hovering around 100 megabits per second uh, and 14th place. 
So some of some of these things are going to be heavily influenced by what the default plan and offering is in that market. Yeah. So you can imagine Chile, they might have just decided, look, we're gonna we're gonna start at 500 megabits per second, and that might push us up the list or whatever their yeah, different yeah, goals yeah. were. But boy, it looks good, right? Absolutely. And, and you know something. You know, we, well, we certainly see our speeds increasing in New Zealand as, as you know, Chorus and the local fibre companies make changes to the standard speeds. I'd love to kind of know the the step change for, for New Zealand because it, I, I imagine we've kind of shot up to that fifth spot very rapidly, right? Um, well, we've been doing well for a while because of, um, you know, the ultra-fast broadband. Um, where, where, we, where we have changed, and there's a new report um, that's uh, just come through from uh, from the government today that I saw through from from Crown Infrastructure Partners. Um, they forwarded through a, a, a press release from Minister um, Dr. David Clark highlighting some of you know, some of the the, the growth uh, for New Zealand. We've had, I think the number was uh, 60, I just want to check this before uh, before coming out with something that's uh, that's complete uh, rubbish. Um, so UFB availability has expanded. We're 86% of the population have access to it. I think the, the target at this stage is about 87%. So we're, okay. we're, we're, we're really, really, really close, close. Um, yeah. you know, to being there in terms of who's got it. And then that that last uh, yeah thirteen percent uh, catered to with the rural broadband initiative, um, we get some benefit there of of yeah the new uh, satellite connectivity from the likes of Starlink as well that that come in to fill in the gaps. Um, interesting though, I think we do get some confusion in the market around the different options. And that's as something we've been talking about in the podcast. And, um, I don't know last in the last few weeks to do with people getting, you know, a communication from a, a telco, mm-hmm. warning them or or alerting them that their copper is going to be cut off in the future, and saying, hey, we're moving you to a um, a fixed wireless connection. Now, someone I spoke with in um, in Rotorua in the in the last uh, uh, last week. He had messaged me via Twitter and said, "You know, Paul, what's the you know what what's the what's the best uh, satellite connection?" And he was he was convinced that he needed a satellite internet connection for his home. And we had a look, and he was getting a three megabit per second on his copper connection. So wow. pretty rubbish, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and upload speed was under a megabit, so not really useful for whether it's him doing work from home or other members of the family, you know, doing work, a uh, bit of gaming, streaming, all the usual usual things. So not very conducive not, to that, right? Not particularly usable for um, any of those things. So, you know, I pinged back. I said, well, check out the national broadband map, but if there's nothing else on there, then satellite. And he sort of, you know, he'd come back with, oh, you know, no, 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 tell me about the satellite. So he was convinced that was the only option. Uh, which is was really interesting. Uh, I think huh. he was with uh, he was with Spark. I'm not sure uh, whether Spark have a good fixed wireless service in that area. Um, in his case, he got hold of Vodafone and was messaging me back three or four days later to say he had moved to a, a Vodafone fixed wireless connection. Uh, he was getting ten times the speed of his DSL. And he was paying a lower fee than than what he had right. paid with his you know previous service provider. So it does pay to actually oh, absolutely. you know check yeah. check this stuff. Um, I would be very curious in terms of how uh, Chile um, are uh, you know operating in in terms of you know how that how they've done what they've done to get there and. There is a, an area of it being a sort of competitive landscape where probably there are a bunch of countries that could choose to do, you know, turn some knobs up, and yep. position themselves at the top or very, you know, high up um, the list. But I think, you know, what New Zealand's got as as a reflection of the initial broadband investment, which I think the, the initial target was was it seventy five percent of the population, if I remember rightly, and then. You know the the government's you know kept investing into that. Where's Oz on that list? 
they, they, they weren't doing uh, they weren't doing quite quite so well. Sweet, um, which is you know we you know from from that uh, Kiwi Aussie rivalry perspective, uh, long mates stay the same. But yeah. you know for when we visit Australia and and uh, spend time over there and and for our Australian friends. Uh, yeah, we hope they move up and uh, definitely get you know, number six behind the... New Zealand is just fine. Um, but uh, you know, yeah. I think that they do have a challenge in terms of the approach they've taken with the uh, the national broadband network there, NBN as they call it. So um, they're sitting around 50 megabits per second, and uh, New Zealand's you know over 100, 100 113. So uh, we're definitely definitely heading in the right direction there. Um, okay, so on to uh, uh, on to other topics, and you know, there's a lot of other stuff going in there. So for those that are interested, worth you know having a look at um, um, Crown Fiber Infrastructure's uh, website for that new uh, report that's mm. uh, that's out, and you know, there's the, there's the details there around the sort of expansion and. Um, um, there's the mobile sort of black spot uh, thing that uh, Labor um, was one of you know Labor's things, and uh, uh, since they've been in government, they've um, that uh, coverage on uh, highways has increased by um, nine nine hundred eighty three kilometres of extra highway coverage around the country. Um, so uh, so that's something that yeah. Obviously, as a as a work in progress, but that's uh, yep. uh, that's phenomenal. Lots, you know, lots of places in the country where in the past you you just wouldn't have got any coverage. Now, you know, you're able to get your data if you need it, but you can also call the one 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 or what it, whatever it is. Given the I'm just scenario. spoiled. I just want five G at my house in Titarangi, <laughs> way out in the bush. Well, five G is interesting because I was looking um, was looking last week at our five G coverage around the country and. It's a very small percentage oh, of yeah, the yeah. of the land mass in terms of population areas. Like you know, sitting sitting here where we are, um, Auckland CBD studio. Yeah, we can get five G. Yeah, but a but lot it, of homes around Auckland there there is no five oh, G. It's really just the water, um, yeah, CBD waterfront. And in fact, where 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 my friend was, and sort of you know a little bit out of out of uh, Rotorua, um, you know, I had a look and. There was no sign of any Spark 5G in Rotorua at all. Uh, for Vodafone, he was being shown on, a, you know, according to their map, as actually having 5G mm. um, coverage. And so, yeah, Vodafone seems to be uh, very much at the forefront on the 5G at the moment. Um, Spark probably aren't, you know, a million miles behind, but they're, they're certainly a, a step back. And then, you know, of course, two degrees are kind of just getting started on yep. that front. So yeah. Um now the oh the other uh the other thing that uh, that caught my attention in terms of New Zealand uh is this new um offshore wind farm. Um taking advantage of all that uh all that wind that uh that blows across the oceans, uh potentially a five billion dollar uh wind farm um being built. Uh New Zealand Super Fund uh um, uh, have have made that uh, announcement of a joint venture with um, the Danish um, infra, uh, Danish infrastructure uh, fund. Uh, interesting, with a very similar name to the uh, uh, government entity we were just talking about. Uh, this one was also called CIP, uh, but not rather than Crown Infrastructure Partners, is Copenhagen or Copenhagen uh, Infrastructure Partners um, who are involved in uh, in this one and. Um, yeah, South uh, South Taranaki, and they're talking about it um, providing over eleven percent of New Zealand's current uh, electricity uh, demand capacity. Wow! And that that could even be expanded. You know, they could potentially double it in size. Now, of course, there there is an issue with wind is that the wind isn't you know always, always blowing on. or not at uh, uh, at full capacity. But in terms of moving New Zealand from the pretty enviable position we are in at the moment, where the very large majority of our power is from a renewable source, um, that you know this could be the thing that that you know takes us, you know, up into the the ninety uh, yeah. plus you know percent perspective, and and you know and 
it suggests it's Which only we're already yeah very close right? yeah yeah we've we've you know we've we've I mean with the the coal use over the last um you know couple of years it's been you know we probably haven't been quite as high as what we have been yeah. um in the past but uh, yeah this could take us into the into the uh 90s and uh, it seems like a, a you know a pretty exciting uh move do you know do you know the percentage that is attributable to wind at the moment um, that is a very good question. You're putting me, uh, you're on putting me, spot. putting me on the spot. Um, I, I don't know. Um, but, um, um, I'm, yeah, I'm in- interested to find out. 5.1% yeah, was what we got out of, uh, wind energy from windenergy.org.nz as of, uh, 2019. So, um, yeah, this would, this would, um, you know, triple triple New Zealand's yeah. Yeah, uh, capacity, or if they, you know, they they spend more. And the other bit that caught my attention was it sounded like this could potentially happen, you know, quite fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, couple you know, couple of years work to uh, to build it. Um, and yeah, that that in itself is uh, is quite encouraging because we're used to infrastructure projects take a very very long long time um so i'm not quite sure i've got my head around that being a a reality but you know maybe we'll check in early 2024 and uh sounds what what, what state that we're uh, and then and then we just wait for the uh the the, the backlash over what it's doing to the scenery i don't know if you've driven through many big wind farms um yeah probably a lot uh, the the biggest that i can recall uh, would have been in a tribe from um, Los Angeles yeah, to, to, LA, to to Vegas. Uh, no, to um, uh, where was it? Um, uh, oh, I'm going to have to remember what um, where it was. Um, yeah, there's a, a few, there's a few, there's a few big ones around on California, the, and they're, um, you know they're, they're beautiful. Like they they're amazing feats of engineering as you as you drive through them. Yeah, um, but yeah, definitely people will. There'll, there'll be issues, and I'll be, be very interested to know where in Taranaki that would that would sit. And um, well, I understand this is an ocean based one, oh, and, got and, it. Okay. and so um, you know it Which, it is quite different from that perspective. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, I was speaking to a friend recently who's in. Um, in Brighton in the in the UK. And um I I did not know this because it wasn't there when I visited Brighton in you know in the last decade. Yeah. Um but now you can you know you can see it's, this wind it's on farm the, on out, the horizon, out, right? Yeah, I used, I used to live um, in Brighton and um yeah, I remember when it was kind of starting to be built up and right. same thing. Always a bit of backlash, like, oh, you've ruined my trips for you. Yeah. But yeah. they they I think they look cool. Um Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona. That was where we oh, drove, yeah. drove through. Um, I just, yeah, just yeah. Having, no, I think I've it. driven through that. I've done that LA for, to Phoenix drive before. It's a, it's a really long one, but <laughs> a lot, a lot of just really, nothing. Really right? hot, really hot, super hot. Yeah, uh, I think I lasted about maybe a minute. I thought, how long can I last with the air conditioning off? Um, <laughs> and and I mean, it must have been out in the desert there. I don't know. Uh, I mean, when we when we got to Phoenix, it was in the it was in the forties. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and so you know, driving through the desert, you can imagine it probably getting even even hotter. So, I was, yeah, uh, it was in Arizona, yeah. Arizona on one of the hottest days on record, and there were people like passing out on the runways at the airport. You could oh, you just walk outside of your your room and you just get blah, you can't breathe for a moment it's so yeah. intense and yeah i couldn't believe it our friends were like yeah yeah come on let's go outside for a barbecue <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> quite comfortable inside thanks yeah. but uh yeah so yeah some some um i think some exciting moves forward to uh to you know to see that happening absolutely and you know we're just gonna have to see how it uh how it all plays out i mean interestingly there's uh with our microphone at Conos, there's there's been a number of um, use cases within wind farms which you wouldn't um, usually connect, but um, being able to monitor um, the kind of mechanical health through sounds and using acoustics to kind of be able to detect whether there's small stress fractures. Oh, and brilliant. That's actually one of the, like, sound is how you monitor lots of machinery and wind farms in particular. So, uh, but you need something that cuts through and just gets that, that bit of machinery. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's that's cool. 
Um, in terms of international readers, it's kind of yeah, as usual, lots of uh, lots of things uh, going on. Um, bit of coverage around uh, what the European Union are doing, uh, the European Commission with their Digital uh, Markets Act, and yeah, quite fascinating. Um, yeah, just sort of reading through, and they've kind of got this uh, simplified view on the um, on their website ec.europa.eu, um, where they talk about this new digital markets act, and there's a list. What does this mean for the gatekeepers? And and what we're talking about there, I guess there's a there's a range of um, uh, entities that are potentially going to get. You know, covered by this. Yeah. Um, but if I'm not getting my legislation mixed up, we've got on, you know, one side we've got things like the the app stores that are, you know, certainly on the Apple side are very, um, you know, very much. Um, it's well, that's you know, that's that's locked up. It's there's with one Apple, source. Right? Yeah. Um, and but then you've also got um, talk about requirements for the likes of WhatsApp. And iMessage to be mm-hmm. able to, um, you know, talk with each other and with other sort of smaller platforms, which, which is quite fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Because well, I it'd think be a, be a huge change. Oh, like, hey, you know, these little, you know, I mean, Apple's been the War Garden since you know forever, right? For sure. I mean, you know, from a consumer perspective, um, how many different messaging apps do I have on my phone at the moment, and kind of have an aggregate or just. <laughs> be able to get my messenger messages through my iMessage is like, for me, I'll actually read some of them and I'll get some of those messages. But then yeah. you know, there's also, well, I, I'd love to understand how that interoperability impacts um, those smaller companies that are kind of maybe you know, it's, it's messaging startups where I feel like, you know, kind of five, maybe even 10 years ago, there was just a flood of so many of those those messages, yeah, but quite a lot of innovation as well. Now we've got our select few, a few on the peripherals, but they all kind of do the same thing. Um, so do, will it spark a little bit of innovation if you've got an opening and not just these big giants and messages, maybe? Yeah, look, I think there's there's probably a whole lot you, know, you could sort of delve into on this one because, yeah, it could change that that messaging run. But, you know, what does it do to uh, Apple? Obviously, from a shareholder perspective, I'd be, you know, if you've, if you've got Apple stock, I'd be watching it reasonably closely at the moment. Um, it's one that I, I, you know, I don't, well, maybe, maybe through some sort of, uh, you know, managed fund or something, but um, not one that I'm, you know, generally, you know, following super closely. But you could imagine that uh, if this, you know, goes ahead and, and you know, what we're seeing, then um, the idea of Apple having any sort of preference, sort of the indications are that, you you know, you can't put yourself in a better position yeah. uh, than, than other players. And so, you know, somebody else has their app store. Uh, Huawei, they've got an app store. Yeah, you, know, you get that on your your phone, and you, you have to get all your, you know, could you choose that? And they they maybe, you know, if they were to come into the market with an app store for for uh, iOS, and their prices were lower than everyone else, some people are going to pick that, right? For sure, and Apple's um, not going to like it. It's, so I, it's, I, yeah, I think it, like that's a really interesting one. I mean, yeah, I'm I've got a, a little bit of an Apple fanboy. I've got my um, iPad in front of me at the moment, and. Dothral, surrounded by engineers who are like diehard Windows Android users, yeah, and like yeah. the biggest, the biggest complaint from them is um, on like why there's a bit of Apple hate from um, the the more hardcore engineers is that you just cannot get access to a lot of software. You're you, you're really constrained to this this ecosystem, and like so, you know, opening up that ecosystem, which Apple is, seems to progressively been doing over the last five years, um, I think overall is, is, is a good thing. Um, uh, you know, if we can use some of our, our simulation software now on, on some of the tablets, and that's excellent. But then from, I guess, a, an Apple user, um, a consumer, like part of the reason I use Apple, like I, I like iPhones, I like iPads, is they're just known to be robust and reliable 
and trustworthy. And that trust kind of comes from the the control that they have over the software. Like, um, you know, I, I don't think I would be using a third party. I, I mean, you can already kind of sideload with, with I've done it before with my phone, yeah. but, yeah. but, um, Beta apps and, and yeah, phone, yeah. You can, yeah. there's ways yeah. you can yeah. do it already, yeah. but it yeah. doesn't feel safe. Um, and yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, it, it, I can kind of understand Apple's pushback, the argument on, but security, security is a pretty big thing. And it's actually what makes these such good products is that they have those tight controls. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know if I'm I'm for or against that. Yeah, well, we will we'll see how that one uh, progresses, yeah. and there, yeah, there will there will certainly be a, a huge flow on. Um, yeah, if that goes goes ahead yeah um yeah the other um big thing that uh, has caught my attention this week is a blog post it's been picked up by you know some reasonably large um you know media outlets and this is the title microsoft is using illegal bribes in the middle east and canada why is there SEC, which is the you know US government yeah. entity, Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, why is the SEC turning a blind eye? Um, and this is um, a, a story from uh, someone who spent around twenty years with Microsoft. Uh, this is written by Yasser Albd. I don't know how you pronounce that. I've got. I'm sure I've stuffed that up. Um, but it's a, a blog post on um, a site called lioness.co, um, and yeah, it's been referenced by a whole lot of media. It is quite a long, um, you know, post in terms of, you know, sharing thoughts on uh, these uh, allegations of of illegal uh, bribery and and down to the the perspective of. Um, yeah, so getting ejected, you know, from Microsoft for you know trying to to make a bit of a stand yeah. uh, against it. Now, um, I see a response from Microsoft saying this stuff is historical. Yeah, that's what uh, I'm saying. It's know, old it's news. Not, it's yeah. not happening. Yeah. It's it's old old news. Um, but it just kind of you know got me thinking a little bit. You know, we we live in in New Zealand, which on the sort of scale of of corruption is is usually in the top sort of yeah. one, two, three, Do you know, well countries yeah. in the in, in the world in terms of certainly how we're perceived from a, a corruption standpoint, mm. um, which makes you know makes things pretty easy in New Zealand. But Definitely. you know, we were, we were chatting before we started around some of the you know countries we've we've visited, and it you know it's always seemed to me it's those countries who have got the weaker economies and and you know maybe struggle to pay people. Well, uh, where we've seen you know corruption, I think you yeah, oh, you, yeah. You, you even mentioned an example in India, right? Oh, I think, yeah, just across Southeast Asia, there's I mean, you often expectations on it's kind of quite systematic mm. that, that you know yeah. you pay certain people in high positions and um and all police and um it's just just that that's the way it works and live with it. Um, yeah, but um yeah, it's, I guess I would love to love to understand um. There's no real information from what I could see what what these bribes have been. Is it is it bribery or is it oh, lobbying? They're, they're, or? They're what, yeah, I mean, read if you read the full blog post, which you know certainly takes some time. It, it, it goes into some very you know specific sort of you know scenarios yeah. and you know highlights. And this is the thing; it's it's different to those sort of scenarios of you know law enforcement and in countries where you know those that work in law enforcement. You know, just don't appear to be actually being paid enough to to live very well to start with. So, you know, there's a uh, yeah, you can, you can sort of without without sort of saying yeah, this is this is right and fair and appropriate because it's not. Um, but you can understand people maybe being driven a bit more that way. But this one te- seems to talk about people that are you know within um, Microsoft and other organisations that are that are actually you know in scenarios where they're probably earning reasonably reasonably you know yeah, reasonably yeah. um you know good uh good good funds yeah so um i certainly hope you know this is in the past but it, it just really got me thinking around okay what challenges do um you know do we need to consider uh, microsoft have been through this who knows 
you know, we don't know the facts. Maybe there are still, you know, issues going on in, in, in certain, um, you know, certain parts of the world. You can imagine that that being the case. But as the the world sort of becomes flatter in that in that sense of, you know, New Zealand employers having to employ people in, in more and more different parts of the world, that seems to be quite common to have a, you know, very globalised workforce, yep. uh, whether it's software development or, or all sorts of uh, areas. Um, how are we going to deal with this? And, you know, I've been looking into, uh, you know, some of the countries that are quite common for offshoring and what we what we see on these, you know, on these lists from a corruption perspective is is not very encouraging. And, and the things that we hear around sort of organised crime and um, that's right, I've had my phone go off in a podcast <laughs> too. Um, the mic probably didn't my catch wife. too much it of it, so, so you're all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're welcome to duck out if you need to, but no, I would, no. I, I would um, uh, quite enjoy having you here for this next segment because um, kind of want to hear a, a little bit, um, you know, a, a little bit more about about Dotteral, yeah, you know. Um, and we're we're probably going to have to have a you know another episode in the in the future, um, you know, where we sort of you know drill into the the bigger learnings and, and stories and so on, but. Um, you know, you shared a, a little bit around um, you know, the the co-founders uh, having come out of out of Lanza Tech and so on. But um, yeah, how did how how, how did how did, how did, how did that actually you know come about? And um, you know, where where are you at now? Yeah, so so the co-founders were all um, based at uh, Lanza Tech when um, the, the idea of of Dotterall kind of came into inception. It actually started um, when we entered an innovation engineering competition called the C-Prize, Callahan funded, we did the first one. Um, and uh, that competition where we were solving numerous problems with drones for the entertainment market. It was kind of judged by um, you know, some, some quite industry heavyweights. And um, we, uh, we came runner up in that. We were solving a problem of noise for entertainment, but also kind of how you can capture audio in this very loud environment. Um, took us to a couple of big trade shows where we won a few awards with early product um, and really kind of demonstrated for us that, hey, there's a real market for what we're doing. We're, we're, we're solving a real problem in the drone market. Um, so, you know, kind of fast forward a bit, we developed some, some excellent uh, microphone arrays that are made for drones, kind of one of the most acoustically demanding environments you could a microphone on and in doing so kind of achieving a high number of world firsts i mean um you know we were doing search and rescue exercises finding people on the drone like not just limited to, to visual senses but also people yelling out for help that won't often uh, show up on these sensors hearing them yell for help getting close asking them you know who are you um you know are you injured is there anyone else with you wow. where did the, where is that Technology uh, been, been so we've utilized. so we've we've largely done those exercises in in, uh, in New Zealand. Um, they've been been local ones, but um, yes, Gary, kind of get, we've got good relationships within Europe in particular, and we're gearing up for some some big exercises over there. That's cool. Um, and we've done a bit in the US with with the drones, with things like um, uh, long distance hostage negotiations, getting a drone to the top of a high rise in a mock shooter scenario. Uh, being able to find out from a potential hostage, where is the shooter? Where are the hostages? Are you okay? Um, all information at the, at the moment, though, um, the uh, police or the, the the operational team, they've kind of limited to throwing a phone in a window and hoping someone picks up. So wow. really it's, a, it's it was a, it wasn't a lot of the use cases for us were about um, enabling audio and communication at long distances, keeping people safe, de what we call de-escalation through dialogue and doing it all very rapidly and, and quickly. Um, uh, we've also done kind of quite a lot of work in the film industry as well at the same time, kind of working on some big productions. Um, it wasn't really until two years ago that in working with multiple segments on our drone solution, um, we had quite a lot of users ask us, well, hey, your drone's noisy, but so is this vehicle and so is this ground robot and um, I can't hear in this certain environment. So we all of a sudden started looking at much more as a, a platform technology that wasn't just limited to drones, started demonstrating its efficacy on these other very noisy platforms. Um, but we also had, because we we're doing work in the screen industry, we also had sound engineers saying, hey, can I just use that as a really kind of new type of, of shotgun microphone on this film? 
So deploying it on um, on film sets and TV shows and all kinds of things, um, the feedback that we were getting from that entertainment market was f- phenomenal in terms of kind of the quality of the mic, that these really new features that have never been seen before in a microphone. And it was like, you know, mid last year only that we kind of said, all right, product for entertainment, that's, that's this first microphone standalone product and um it's been full noise on production and engineering is and, and working with end users taking their requirements to create this this really amazing microphone product wow so when does that hit the market uh we're expecting later this year um we're currently at pre-production phase so really since the beginning so mid last year we've had a number of early product versions kind of be out there in the field in lots of different exciting use cases entertainment and others um other markets um and that's all kind of gone into this final product we're creating at the moment which um yeah a bit later in the year and is licensing your technology is that going to be sort of a key part or are you Uh, generally going to make your own product yeah it, it it can be part of it um but really for us at this stage it's about kind of selling hardware and selling product um you know there's this bigger opportunity for us outside of um selling uh selling the hardware which is working with the integrators with some future markets which i can talk about um you know things like getting it incorporated into vehicles into factories into um your public space monitoring there you know ultimately we're looking to supply components that's um you know the microphone arrays that we make um and, and but then you know there's software licensing um aspects and you know it, it, we could ultimately structure a, a licensing opportunity out of out of some of those integration deals we're, we're actively um uh executing on a on, on one such deal at the moment yeah great and how competitive is this is this space so there are a lot of a lot of players that it, are uh, you know trying to carve out their own their own niche it's i mean it's it's interesting like um you know i I think i mentioned before there's so much innovation that goes into cameras and and set and other other very visual sensors um but the amount of innovation that goes into microphone technologies is being pretty limited like mems technology isn't particularly new it's been around for quite a while but it really is kind of limited to things like you mentioned kind of um uh uh conference room systems or or, or mm-hmm. cell phones but it's not they're not used really in kind of a number of professional applications um that we use existing microphones today so there's you know there's there's long range shotgun microphones there's microphones that do one thing but i think that's the the defining factor is that the microphone technology we have today is kind of constrained to doing one thing like these microphones are speaking to now are made to capture a pattern that that works for this room um what we've really tried to aim to create is something that is made for everywhere it just gives you that ultimate control and flexibility so you can take it out of the field effectively turn it into a completely different mic because you're operating in, the, in an urban environment you need yeah. to get rid of that vehicle noise and so that's yeah that's really there's no one else that is doing that and how much of this is in the mic and how much of it is sort of machine learning and, it's, and it, technology? It's is? a real blend of um, both hardware and software. So, you know, the the kind of the, the way that we physically make these very unique arrays that, again, is like comprised of 80 individual microphone elements. And then the way that we use that array to form these really unique beam patterns um, uh, and do some other very unique things like mm process out that high noise um is yeah so it's, it's a it's a proper true combination of um software and hardware cool um and to walk us through your you know funding journey because yeah. that's always uh yeah, definitely you know, that's always a, a you know pretty a pretty important part of this it stuff. is yeah you, you yeah. can't do too much without uh without there, there being some money there's only sort of so long you can you know give away your your, your time on things so how's that uh, played out definitely i think you're like in particular for hardware hardware is hard and it can take <laughs> take can take a little bit longer and um it can be you know, just just more expensive to develop um so um you know, we dotterel as a company has been around for close to five years now um and uh we really kind of started um with quite you know reasonably small raises just kind of being very kind of clear on what we wanted to achieve with a defined level of, of capital mm. um over the years, and while this probably doesn't sound um, uh, like a very small amount, we've probably now got to the stage that we've raised just over $5 million over that, that, five, that, yep. that period. Yep. Um, 
but ultimately with each, you know, with it, we've been very kind of um, disciplined and kind of raising cash to do this and create this milestone, which, which kind of creates that next inflection point. And for us to be able to, at the moment, kind of now get to a point where we can take uh, really kind of scalable product to market. Mm. With this raise in particular, you know, what it allows us to do is um, hire like some rock stars. Some, some, we've got some you know, fantastic talent that have, have come on. Um, we've recently hired a head of um, market development, head of production, because we're now, and some, some excellent engineers. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it's allowed us to establish a production facility. So we're out in, in Mount Wellington in Auckland um, and kind of, you know, making, uh, you know, investing hugely in capability there. And then, you know, the ability to kind of for sales and marketing just to be in front of our customers now, which is we're, we're heading over to the States in a couple of weeks and Fantastic. incredibly excited to, to be back in front of customers. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So, um, and this this latest uh, funding round, what was it, $3 million? Three. Three million. Yep. So, so who did you have in in terms of investors initially? And then, you know, there are there new ones that have come in Yep. Uh, on this round, or is this um, you know a bit of bit of bit of re, re, reinvestment? Um, yeah, that was possible. US number was possibly an That's investor. Probably the right next there. investor yeah. we just said no to. <laughs> yeah. we, we just sunk a you know the twenty million dollar opportunity there. It, They're only going to yeah, call exactly. once. Exactly. Yeah, take I, that call, we, we blew it. Uh, I should answer yeah. it live now. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So so um, you know, we've. Investors, um, shareholders today um, in, in Dotterall have been um, you know, one of our earliest and um, incredibly supportive shareholders is Gelix Ventures from Australia. Um, and we were one of the, the first investments of that fund. Um, and you know, they've, they've kind of gone from strength to strength. Um, drone Fund, which is a Japanese-based, um, uh, quite, obviously quite drone-specific with, with their portfolio, um, Venture Capital Group. Um, and then we have in New Zealand, it's been kind of um, K1W1, hugely supportive, like just kind of you know, love their investment you know, philosophy. Um, and even University of Auckland, I mean, there's a, we've had um, huge ties to, university, uh, to technology that's come out of the university and commercializing that. So yeah. you know, very good relationships there. With this round, um, we now welcome ISAS Ventures, who led the round. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, we've had so much to do with those guys over the years, so it's yeah. nice to have finally have them on the cap table. Um, Peter Beck's come on board. Likewise, we've been around him forever, and he's just, he just saw this is the right time to invest. Huge market opportunity, and um, so so you know that that's definitely what excites him. Um, and then then a few others, NZVC, who are kind of a newer um, uh, yeah. an investor here in um, and Scoby Water. If you, yeah, there's there's been some fantastic mm. new shareholders that come on come on and all incredibly supportive as well yeah yeah oh well that's great congratulations thank you we'll certainly look forward to uh you know catching up again uh maybe it needs to be a new zealand business podcast so we get the get the full story uh but uh, yeah it's been really really interesting and great to have your uh comments and and input across the rest of the the news of the week as well (laughs) that's right yep no it's uh honored to be on the show it's uh, i've always wanted to be so (laughs) (laughs) oh that's nice to hear well uh yeah thank you very much and um thanks of course also to uh to our show partners to vocus uh vodafone spark hp and and gorilla technology for uh their support of the new zealand tech podcast and of course of the sort of broader new zealand uh tech and and innovation uh, ecosystems which uh which they support. So, yeah, thanks, everyone. We'll look forward to catching you uh, next week for the next episode. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.